Here we are keeping our Sunday nights just as regular and strong as we can. You heard the announcement about September 6th and our gathering together starting too carefully on, on Sunday mornings. The survey came back and, and uh, slightly more people voted no than yes, but it was roughly a 50-50 kind of split. And so we're excited, looking forward to that. But we'll always keep our Sunday night emphasis just for as long as we can. We're in a series on repentance. Knowing why is good, knowing how is even better. And continuing from last Sunday night, the kinds of changes truly repentant people make. The text is Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 14. And he, that's John the Baptist, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiving of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that's John, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Shall see. John predicts Jesus has not died for our sins yet, not at this time, has not raised from the dead. So he's looking at the coming kingdom that Jesus is going to bring, and he's announcing the depth of repentance that's needed to get people ready for the coming of Christ and the saving work that he's going to bring. It won't be automatic. People will need to repent and repent deeply. And so that's John preparing the way. Verse 7, And he said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So the coming of Jesus will bring grace, salvation for repentant people. It will bring wrath, and judgment for unrepentant people. That's, that's what Isaiah said. John reads it. John says the same thing. Verse 8. Now here we pick up where we're kind of working now. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So with the coming of Christ, the kingdom of God manifest in Jesus, it won't be enough to be ethnically Jewish. That part of the old covenant is gone. And, and, and to hide, to hide in just their descent from Abraham was going to dodge the kind of repentance that they needed in their hearts and that we're going to study tonight. So, so do not begin to say to yourselves, verse 8, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit. Okay, so verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now the warning, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? bear fruits. What's the fruit looks like? What, what shall we do? Verse 11. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. 
12, the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. 14, soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he doesn't say, you, Well, you can't be a soldier, you have to leave the army. He doesn't say that at all. What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. We spent last Sunday night looking at what repentance is. Just, just mentioned on the side how it comes from the Greek word metanoia. Meta, uh, after, after. Noeo, to perceive with the mind. Repentance is what you do after you perceive what the Holy Spirit is saying to your mind. Well, I didn't, I didn't see that before. I didn't realize that. So once you perceive with your mind what the Holy Spirit is saying through his word, through conscience, through the body of Christ, it's, it's what you do after that that indicates the level of repentance. The other thing I said, there were two, two issues to repentance, two root issues to repentance. First, it's a radical recognition of the fallen nature of the human will. We don't just repent for deeds. It's, it's the heart, heart issues. What we are on the inside, constantly pulling our lives in the wrong direction. So repentance is recognizing the depth to which repentance has to reach. And second, repentance isn't just feeling sorry for your sins. It may start with deep regret indeed, but it's not just constant condemnation. It isn't just feeling sorry for your sins. It may start with regret, but it leads to transformation. What, what do I do? What do I do when I come to understand the correcting voice of the Spirit in my heart? So that's kind of where we, we ended up uh, last Sunday night. And I said, by the way, that's why believer's baptism is so important. That going down into the water, under the water, is, is the death to the old way of life. Of course, that doesn't mean it doesn't manifest itself ever again. So baptism is the inaugural act of repentance. It's a pattern of life that stays with the Christian. So it's not just being baptized, it's living baptized. That's the issue. So that's where we ended up. And I said, what we need to do is look at this text. What are the kinds of changes repentant people make? That's the theme of tonight's study. Point number one. I'm calling it Monday repentance. Of course, it doesn't just mean Monday, but I'm thinking of generally Sundays when we think of the church and God speaking to the church. I know it's not the only time, but it's a, a primary time. So that idea of what we do after we hear the truth, that's why I'm calling it Monday repentance. Monday repentance manifests a fresh compassion for the needs of others around me. I get that in Luke 3, 10 and 11, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So I don't think Jesus is just talking about tunics. And I don't think he's just talking about food. He's talking about an attitude of heart. 
something spiritual people will always have to confront in themselves. People like me. The thing I will always have to confront in myself with ongoing repentance is as, as kind and as loving as I would like to be, I find I must constantly confront and confront recurringly the, the me first tendency of my fallen heart and mind. Matthew records the very same event, and we'll look at it later on in this series. But Matthew introduces John's sermon with, with these words. In Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love that phrase. The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, Matthew says it's at hand. So what happens when the kingdom is at hand? Close up. Well, Luke says people have to change the way they think about material things. When the kingdom of heaven in Jesus, spoken to our lives through his word and spirit, when the kingdom of heaven is at hand, people like we, we have to confront our affection for material things. We have to scrap old values and we have to replace them with new values. So, so kingdom people, they have to realign themselves with the king. The kingdom doesn't just come to bless people. The kingdom comes to transform people. And the first thing John tells the people when they come and ask, they're asking, what do we have to do? And maybe they think of just one little thing. They must see the needs of others with kingdom compassion that forces them to reevaluate their affection for material things. So this kind of repentance implies a radical kind of repentance. That's why I said the kingdom of Christ, repentance goes deeper than under the old covenant. The old covenant, you just don't steal. But what Jesus is talking about here, I, I, must, I must repent. But we know, we know we'd have to repent if we robbed the needy person. We get it. I mean, that's just obvious sort of common decency. But the kingdom presses for something deeper in my repentance. I must repent for not, not giving up my luxuries for the needs of others. That's a repentance issue, John says. As, as the kingdom draws near, as the king draws near, I'm called to a cross shaped repentance and lifestyle. I'm not only going to flee theft and dishonesty, but I will be more and more compelled by the Spirit to repent of, of the degree of selfishness that will let me keep two coats when this person has none. That's a repentance issue. We never get beyond the need, do we? We never get beyond the need to repent of that kind of uh, turned inwardness that, that just constantly seeks to control my life. Only Monday repentance can free us 
and form us in the likeness of Jesus himself. Okay, point number two. Monday repentance will manifest itself in an increasing transparency and integrity in the most secret parts of my life. I get that in 12 and 13 of Luke chapter 3. Because the tax collectors came also to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what, what shall we do? It's interesting that they know they have to, some of these things have to be addressed before they're going to be baptized. Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Strange words. But I think this interchange with the tax collectors, it isn't just highlighted randomly or accidentally by Luke. I think their words are recorded because, because they typify a very real danger in the walk of repentance. A real danger in the walk of repentance. They, they press the issue of repentance into secret motives and desires. Let's just look at it for a minute. These tax collectors. First, they're employees of the Roman Empire. Sometimes they were Roman citizens, sometimes not. Many times they were actually Jews, fellow Jews, trusted, paid by the Roman government. And if they were Jews, they would be particularly hated because, well, in addition to uh, being tax collectors, goodness knows how much everyone loves paying taxes, but in addition to being tax collectors, these Jews would have been seen as traitors to their own nation because they worked for the Roman oppressors. Now, all of that may have made these tax collectors unpopular, but it wasn't necessarily immoral. But the story goes further than that. Because for the most part, as long as Rome got its share of revenue, these tax collectors worked largely, not completely, but largely unsupervised by Roman authorities, which means they could collect more than the appropriate tax, forward the taxes to Rome, and line their pockets with the extra. And here's the thing, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody could even find out. And then these tax collectors, they could just get away with it. No one would be the wiser. So John, these tax collectors, they're coming to John. What, what do we have to do to repent? What do we have to do? Well, John looks at these tax collectors and their, their secret practice. And John knows that, that the kingdom is drawing near. The king is coming. So what is the relationship to repentance, kingdom repentance, and secret sins that no one else can even find out about? What do we have to do, they said? How does repentance relate to us? What kind of repentance is required in the kingdom shaping of our lives? And John's response is immediate. He's saying, in effect, you know, the Old Testament priests would never know anything about this stuff, and they wouldn't. But God now requires this honest dealing with the whole character. It, it's, it's the hidden stuff 
that has to be brought into the light. It's called walking in the light, John calls it. It's, it's the part of your life that only you know about. God sees it too. That's what John is saying. And you have to come to terms with holiness and honesty. Do you want to know how you have to repent, tax collectors? You have to come to terms with repentance at a level you haven't been thinking about before. There are a lot of Christians, maybe, maybe Christians listening to me right now, and, and, and you're trying to figure out why you can't get past first base in your walk with God. Or, or maybe others, you've, you've grown so cold spiritually and, and you aren't even worried about this whole issue of repentance at, at the hidden levels of your life. And for a lot of people, the, the, reason, the reason for their condition is right here in John's words to these tax collectors we, we need to constantly hear the call to bring in fresh repentance the parts of our lives that we've gotten used to and don't feel any external pressure to change. That's a huge issue. The parts of our lives that no one else is going to pressure us because they don't know. It might not seem like a big deal and we've just grown accustomed to that style of living and we don't bring those things repentantly to the Lord. And, and here's, here's the important point. Here's the life lesson. If repentance, this is really important. If repentance doesn't reach everything in my life, I don't mean perfect, I mean repentance. If repentance doesn't reach everything in my life, then repentance doesn't reach anything in my life. If repentance doesn't reach everything in my life, then repentance doesn't reach anything in my life. Ongoing refinement and growth in the kingdom has everything to do with how thoroughly and how quickly I repent of things that I don't have to repent of because no one else knows. So there's no external pressure except the Spirit of God. So, so put it this way. Genuine repentance always forces me to distinguish between maintaining my appearance as a godly person and pursuing the substance of a godly person at the core of my being. And I think, I think, godly people, David, not perfect, but a man after God's own heart. And here's why. They always recognize this distinction. Look at Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14. And you can see exactly what David is writing about. Who can discern his errors? He's talking about the stuff in here. Declare me innocent of hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So when you deal with hidden faults, the things you, you, you walk in presumptuously, not feeling the guilt of anymore, ignoring because there's no external pressure to change. When you deal with those things repentantly, here's what happens. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable 
in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The tax collectors, this hidden practice, no one else knew about it. They come to John. What do we have to do? You just collect what's right. It'll cost you. There's no pressure to do so. I won't even know whether you're doing it or not, but the kingdom does. It can't advance until you deal with it on that level. Point number three. Monday repentance crushes personal pride and resists the abuse of power over others. I get that in 314. The soldiers also asked him. So you get these groups coming, one after another. The soldiers also asked him, and, and we, what shall we do to repent? John said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. It's a tricky verse. The elements that have to be brought together are the two references to money and then that reference to false accusations. Now, most scholars, most commentaries thread the message this way, that soldiers were pretty poorly paid people. They lived on lean military daily rations, but they did have power and recognition. And John addresses soldiers who, who use their office, their uniform, use their power to make, to make false accusations, threats, to extort money from people to get off the hook, to force innocent people to pay them money to stay out of conflict. So in other words, the issue here is what, what you do what you do with the ambition and the power that you have, the, the use of might and authority to, to manipulate others to your own advantage. So again, the soldiers had the upper hand. The, the little people, they had no recourse any more than against the crooked tax collectors. They had no recourse against these people. So, so this was a crime that would never be tried under the Roman system. And so... So the people had no rights to stand on. Practice was common. Everyone did it. And John says, John says, this is where the acts of repentance comes in with such a sharp cutting edge. This is where kingdom repentance has to cut into very ingrained habits. John, he presses this issue of Monday repentance on all who would be tempted to use the influence they have, the power of wealth or office or station in life to be anything other than humble and Christ-like in their relations to others. John, John is addressing uh, the need to win every argument. Uh, losing temper, being cruel, the desire to pull others down to make us look good, taking advantage of others for our own personal benefit. So, so when the kingdom comes near, these things have to go. Kingdom truth is brought to bear by the life, witness of the Holy Spirit through conscience, through the word, through the body of Christ. So I perceive with my mind Metanoia, I perceive with my mind 
what this kingdom truth is, this freeing, life-bestowing kingdom truth. And then Monday comes, and the grace of repentance has to shine in my life. I want to wrap up saying this. Repentance is never easy, but it is always life-giving. It is always, at its deepest level, joy-producing. So, so repentance is not primarily a negative experience, even though it starts with guilt and a recognition of guilt. Listen to these wise words. I read them years ago by Philip Yancey. Listen to how he talks about guilt and repentance. Quote, Guilt is like physical pain. It's directional. Just as the body speaks to us in the language of pain so that we will attend to the injury site, the spirit speaks to us in the language of guilt so that we will take the repentant steps necessary for healing. The goal in both is to restore health. True saints do not get discouraged over their faults, for they recognize that a person who feels no guilt can never find healing. Paradoxically, Neither can a person who wallows in guilt. The sense of guilt only serves its design purpose if it presses us toward the God who promises forgiveness and restoration. He wraps up. I once thought Christians went through life burdened by guilt in contrast to carefree unbelievers. A lot of people think that way. I now realize that Christians are the only persons who do not have to go through life feeling forever guilty. Guilt is the symptom, the process. We listen to it because it drives us repentantly toward the cure. That's great, great thinking. I mean, God doesn't just wind us up and let us go in the Christian life. He, he speaks. He invites he reveals, and, and, and these are the kind of changes ongoing repentance requires. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I just, I just can't think of a better way of expressing the repentant walk of a serious disciple than that. And listen, you can't help but be fruitful when you follow Jesus with an obedient, repentant heart. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the way your word, by your spirit, still the voice of Jesus speaking to his church. Press into our hearts, not in a glib, legal way, but with a tenderness and a sensitivity to the spirit. The kind of changes the kind of changes that do have to run deep. But when they do, they free up those springs of living water that Jesus talked about in our hearts. Bless this truth to Cedarview Community Church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. Boy, it's good to study the word together on a Sunday night. Join us in prayer now for Ian and Tiffany Rowley. Love one another.